Exodus 28. So, we're going to pray and then we're going to look at some of these things to do with the high priest. And we'll talk about that today. There's a lot of good stuff to learn. So let's, we welcome everybody that's joined us live today. Those of you that will get this broadcast either by uh, YouTube or uh, our, our podcast. <clears throat> All of you that are with us around the globe, I think mentioned the other day we picked up Vietnam. So we welcome you guys and uh, all of you around the states here. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. We ask that you'll use this time and this word to mold us and make us more like you. That's what the world needs to see. They don't need our opinions. (laughs) They don't need our things. They need to see you in us. And you said that if we speak, we need to speak as the oracles of God. So we Pray, Lord, that your word will come out of us and not our opinions. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, All right. The flesh gets in the way, don't it? (laughs) That old flash (laughs) rises up. In chapter 28, we're we're looking at the garments for the priesthood, and we're going to talk about that and the high priest. uh, And then I'll show you a few things here or share some stuff with you. Uh, Now take Aaron your brother, he's speaking to Moses, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, skillfully woven tunic. God wanted these clothes made right, right? (laughs) No irregulars. (laughs) Skillfully woven. A turban, a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me. So, here's the concept, even in the New Testament, that we should live by. And I'll talk to you about this with this. God should be in the center. Me, you, and I should be revolving around God. That's how life should go. Now, Israel had Jerusalem and this priesthood that we're getting together here, that he's putting together, and the center. And the reason the priests, they weren't given an inheritance like the rest of the people. Their inheritance was the Lord and to serve God continually. And they were in the center of Israel. They were to keep, if I can say it this way, to keep God happy. And as long as God was kept in the center and this, this priesthood after Aaron's line was there to keep God happy, so to speak, then everything went well for the nation as long as God was in the center. 
And so the priests, they, they were brought the tithes and the offerings because they weren't given land. And so they sacrificed those to God. And plus they also ate out of that and were blessed through the offerings and the silver and gold, whatever came in. They had a portion of that because they had given their lives just to the service of the Lord. So that's how God set this up. As long as God is in the center of everything, everything will work the way it's supposed to. Uh, when God gets out of the center of our lives, then things get out of shape, right? They get mixed up. They get messed up. So you can take that as an individual. You can take that as a community or as a family and as a nation, all of that. God needs to be in the center. We need to revolve around that. You and I do not come to God's Word to make it fit us. We come to God's Word to fit our lives to it. So that's why Paul said that the, the Word of God is for rebuke and reproof and encouragement all at the same time. So the Word of God will correct us and encourage us. So if you uh, listened last night or were here last night, you'll be encouraged by looking forward to the return of the Lord. That's what we spend our time talking about. So, um, so these, these priesthood were set apart to do God's will. And Aaron's family, so they, they made these garments so that they could appropriately minister to God. They shall take the gold, the blue, the purple, in verse 5, and the scarlet thread and fine linen, and they shall make an ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, artistically woven. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at two edges, and it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall uh, be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. This hasn't been fully done. I don't know if you can see this with the camera, Andrew, but... Can you get a shot of that? Can you all see that? This is uh, a rendering of the high priest. So, and you'll see uh, his garment is blue, scarlet, uh, purple, and gold there. <clears throat> he has a mitre and a sash and his linen garment that's underneath his robe and he's covered to his wrist and to his feet and he will learn over time what all this was designed for but you'll see the bells and the pomegranates around the bottom of his garment and uh, those pomegranates in the New Testament, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, and that's what those bells represent, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, if those fruit were not, if those pomegranates were not between those bells, they would just make a racket. This would be all clinging together, making a racket. But because the fruit is between the bells, the bells can make a distinct sound. So that's a picture of our lives. You can be 
the most spiritual guy on the block, but you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. Well, you're not really the most spiritual guy on the block if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. But you can be a come across as spiritual uh, and not have the fruit of the Spirit. Without love, what did he say about all that stuff in 1 Corinthians 13? Without love, it's not worth anything. No matter how spiritual people think they are. I'm always leery of somebody that keeps telling me who they are. <laughs> I'm a this, I'm a this, I'm a this, I'm a this. Just let it happen. Just let it come out. I never tell anybody I'm a preacher unless they ask. Because you'll get a front. My position, I'll get a real person if they don't know I'm a preacher. But if I'm a preacher, they'll start throwing up fronts. You know, if you don't know them. I, I, don't, I don't tell people I'm a preacher unless they ask or if it's a venue that's going to come out. Because I just want to be, I don't want to seek a reputation. That's what the Bible says for us to be like Christ. Don't seek a reputation. There's a person behind this pastor. He's a real son of God. His name's Matthew Robbins. I have a title. I've been given a mantle of which I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole if I wasn't called to do it. <laughs> I'd still be working in the coal mines. But God gave me this mantle, and I'm like Paul. You know, I, the problem's on me if I don't obey. But I don't run around pronouncing who I am. I don't run around... I don't want to seek a reputation. I just want to be a son of God and do what he's asked me to do. We get caught up in this and not staying in that place of humility. And if you want to get set on the sidelines quickly by God, lose your humility and start walking in pride. He can't use us when we do that. And he won't use us. And it's like, this is how that appears to God. If you go through the cafeteria line and you pick up a fork and it's still got food on it, you're going to use it. I think sometimes that's how God is with us. Get in there and get cleaned up, buddy. <laughs> and then I'll eat with you. <laughs> so why we, sometimes we expect God to do things that we wouldn't even do. So this high priest is there just, he's designed to minister unto the Lord. And I know we, and I've been in this a long time now, 30 some years. Uh, the, I know people that are called, but they're not willing to pay the price. Many are called, few are chosen. Because they're not willing to pay the price. I, I know a guy that went to his grave who was called, but he wasn't willing to leave his job. God had asked something of him that he wasn't willing to do. Some people aren't willing to move. When you and I, it's not just pastors. This is all Christians, I believe, although it's probably more evident with somebody in ministry. When you say, I'm going to do what you asked me to do, that means if God tells you to go to Alaska, you go to Alaska. That's how this is supposed to work. You and I don't get to pick and choose and direct our own lives. We've been bought with a price, and I think it's especially true of ministry. If God tells me to move to Arkansas next week, then guess what? I've got to go to Arkansas. Now, you better make sure it's the Lord. You don't want to be a razorback if it's not the Lord's will. Right? <laughs> but that's what you sign up for, and you don't get to reason through it. 
We need some more of that strict obedience. Like when Jesus came and called those guys Matthew, he said, come follow me. He left immediately. Right? He didn't just try to work, say, listen, I need to move my 401k and I got, (laughs) you know, he just got up and followed, right? So, but God's got us, he's got people everywhere. He didn't, Daniel never, Daniel's one of the greatest guys in the scripture, if you want to say it that way. He never pastored a church. He worked in government his whole life. So God needs people everywhere. Just obey him. And you see here, look what it says. And this is something I love to point out. The Lord said, you get these guys to make these garments, in verse 3, to all those who are gifted artisans, whom I fill with the spirit of wisdom. In other words, God made people, gifted them to do natural things. To be used as a part of His kingdom. So, that's why none of us need to seek a reputation. The Bible says in Philippians that we ought to think more of others than we do our own selves. And so, keep that in mind and God can use you. Stay in humility uh, and God can use you. And that's how He wants to use us. He wants us to realize that it's His power working in us. It's not us doing that. He, he made these guys be able to do, fix these wonderful garments. He, well, the lady in the New Testament was a seller of purple. Lydia, remember that? She was a prime player in the early church because she had been gifted by God. She was well off. She was able to establish people and and uh, in the Word and was able to make her stuff available because she had the means to do it. And God God used her in a mighty way. And so He wants to use all of That's what we got to understand. And Paul tries to get this across. I'm not any more important than anybody else in this church. I just have a different job. And the toll can't say because I'm not the I, Paul said, that I'm not important. Right? Or the nose. Just think if you couldn't get stuff out of you with your nose. That'd be miserable. (laughs) The nose has a wonderful function too, right? I thank God for my nose. And (laughs) so whatever, the body is put fitly joined together, the Bible says, as God, as it pleased Him. And so... We're all important. And uh, these guys, and it'll talk about it as we go through here, they, these parts of these garments were sewn with gold thread. Thread made out, not colored, thread made out of gold. Those, these guys were so good, they beat that gold so fine without any modern technology that they used it to sew with. That's amazing, isn't it? And we got a cell phone. <laughs> we think we're really something with a cell And these guys beat that gold so fine that they could put it in a thread and sew with it. That's pretty awesome, I think. And he says, uh, let's, let's, let me, I'll, I'm going to share some stuff with you, what these stuff mean as we get through. may take us into next week. But. They're woven this ephod intricately in verse 8, which is on it. And it's the same workmanship made of the gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread. And those are colors. Gold is, is uh, deity. Blue is grace. Purple is royalty. And scarlet is redemption. So those colors are important to God 
and he used them. So he's, he is deity. He is full of grace. He is royalty. And he offers redemption. Uh, they're going to be a fine woven linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone. Six of their names on their stone in order of their birth. With the work of the engraver on the, in the stone. And he talks about how our names have been engraved, right? In, in Revelation. So God's important. Our stuff's important to him. And there's a lot of things that you may think were just coincidences in your life. Or I just got that name. I don't believe so. The Lord's in charge. One of the most wonderful stories I've ever heard was of an American who went to India. She was a missionary. True story. And she's, they made her up to be like an Indian, one of the people in India, because she was going in the underground and rescuing children, getting them out of the underground. And she had all her life wished she had had a different color of eye than she had. She had, I think it was brown eyes. And she uh, had wanted different color of eyes all of her life. And she said they were getting her ready because they would dress her up like one of them and get her ready to go in the underground however often she went. And said the lady who was an Indian from India looked at her one day and said, you know what? She said, if you didn't have those brown eyes, you would never pass as one of us. Isn't God wonderful? I mean, He is so in charge. And that's what I've been stressing the last few weeks. Just how, like with the Lord of hosts this past Sunday, he, He's got us. He's in charge. And everything's going to come to play, play out just like He said it would. Then you shall take these stones and write their names on them. He's got their names. The work of an engraver in the stone. In verse 11, with the engravings of a signet. You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall eat them in the settings of gold. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord. So this is symbolic, right? Going to take God's people before the Lord on his two shoulders. And that's what Jesus did, right? He put us on his, he put us on his shoulders. And carried our sin for us. He took us before the Father and, and covered our sins. Redemption. You shall make the settings of gold. You shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords. Fasten the braided chains to the settings. You shall make a breastplate of judgment. Artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make... It of gold, blue, purple, and the scarlet thread, fine woven linen, it shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square, a span that will be its length, and a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stones in the four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardis, topaz, emerald. It shall be first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, sapphire, and diamond. The third row, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row, a barrel and an onyx, and a... Uh, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold, and these stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engraves and signet, each one of his own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. So I'll show you this again. This is what he's talking about there. The children of Israel are not only on his shoulders, 
but they're on his heart. That's who God is to us, right? Our high priest is Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 7. He's made after the order of Melchizedek. Not an earthly priesthood, but a heavenly priesthood. He carries us on his heart and on his shoulders. He's our champion, right? And so each Israel had each tribe had a stone that represented their tribe. And there's a lot of this that went on in Israel because they had symbols and colors and numbers that meant something. So if you go, and the reason we know uh, that more than likely there's Jewish blood in a lot of Americans is because the Israelites, when they were lost, quote unquote, they were only lost to us, they weren't lost to God. Uh, a lot of those tribes went into that European area. Paul was in Glastonbury, they know now, and so there's just a lot of influence there. And when you get into Europe, you see a lot of the symbols that Israel used. They say that 36 of the 39 symbols and emblems that Israel used, you can find in Europe. Chief of which is the line that England uses of the tribe of Judah. Now they believe that the Celts could have been some of the Israelites. Because the Celts went behind, the, some of the Israelites went behind the Black Sea in their wanderings, and then they disappear, quote unquote. And the next thing you know, you have these Celts who come into being who are very skilled at war, which Israel was. And then you have the two children that were born to Tamar, right? When Judah went up, and Pharaohs and Zara. Well, Pharaohs is in the line of Christ, right? So if you follow the lineage of Christ, you'll follow Pharaohs, and he's in that lineage. Zara is not. But if you follow as much of the history as we can with Zara, Zara's line became known as the master shipbuilders. They were very skilled in naval stuff. And so they have followed the Zara line, which everything God does is blessed, right? So they followed the Zara line, and what do we find? I'll give you some th something to think about. Zara's line went down into Egypt, and for a season in world history, Egypt had the greatest navy. Then they traveled up the coastline to Spain. Then the Spanish Armada, they had the greatest naval at a certain time in history. Then England had, with the tri-line, they had, and now America has the greatest navy in the world. So they believed that Zara's line had made its way all the way into the Americas and followed them as they went up the coastline and went into Europe. So there's probably more to America being basically the last country that really hangs tight with Israel than just us knowing what the... There's probably a lot of Jewish blood in Americans, if we could trace it. Because we have this great connection with them, and it's more than... I believe in them just being a democracy. I believe there's 
Christian Jewish connections there that we know and maybe even have in us that cause us. So what we think is coincidence, God is, you remember those little things they did years ago with the strings? <laughs> you know, and they got little wooden people. What you, puppeteers or? Is that what? Yeah, okay. Uh, God's in charge, right? He, he, so it's a wonderful thing. And of course, I love, I love to learn. But, uh, and that stuff's not necessarily here for doctrine. Uh, but it's comforting for us Christians to see just how much God makes things happen, works them out. So uh, these high priests, there, the, he's got the garments. And of course, you've uh, uh, heard about the priest movements and stuff uh, in the tabernacle. And verse uh, 20 says, after the fourth row, he says, they shall be set in gold settings and the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve according to their names, like the engravings of Signet, each one of its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. Now, um, we were blessed with a couple of paintings. I don't know if y'all saw those in the foyer. Have y'all seen the paintings out there? Stunning. They really are stunning. That guy's fabulous. He's from Tennessee that does all that. And he paints a lot of Christian stuff like that. But they're really stunning. And I, you know, I went through a period of, you know, because the church went through a period of, um, how do I put this, of where whatever is okay. But I think I've come back to this fact that what we call God's house should be nicer than ours. I mean, if He's God. I've shared this story before, but one guy who come out of a situation, he dressed really nice. He wasn't in ministry. Sometimes he'd dress nicer than the preacher would. <laughs> uh, and somebody started making fun of him. And I pulled them aside and I said, because uh, they, they were just the opposite, right? Anything went. And I said, let me tell you something about this guy before you make fun of him. I said, he was raised in a home and he strayed. He, he'd done his own thing for a while. I said, but he was raised in a home where he was taught that he should give God his best I said, that's why he dresses away. I said, now what's wrong with that? What's wrong with being taught to give God your best? Now, there's an extreme to the other side. I also had people come into our church that were pitiful one day. And they came, we prayed with them. One of them got saved and the Lord was doing a work in them. And they were so grateful. And they said, because the last church, they asked us not to come back because we wouldn't dress appropriate. Now that's the other side of that, right? There's two sides of that, right? And they said, what they didn't know was my father had went on a rampage and we were afraid for our lives and we got out with only the clothes we had on and we'd been living in a car and we thought the best place for us to go was to church and they were asked not to come back. So there's 
two sides. That's why we're not good at judging. You know, it's, we, we judge with the seeing of the eye and the hearing of the ear. And the Lord looks at the heart. So I'm not saying everybody has to dress up to go to church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that guy's heart was in the right place. He would he been taught to give God his best. And so that's how he lived his life. And the other people's, their heart was in the right place, right? They just wanted a refuge. And that's what the church ought to be, a refuge. Like the city's a refuge. So there's a balance to all that stuff. So we don't need to get out of balance in either direction. But we need to be careful that we don't judge. And you all, I, I have to tell this in case somebody out there in YouTube land hadn't heard it. <laughs> this guy <clears throat> went to church and he wasn't dressed appropriately for that church, obviously. And uh, the church guy, one of the guys at church said, you know, said, uh, if you come back again, said, you, you need to dress appropriately. And he said, well, how should I do that? And he said, well, you just ask God. He'll, he'll help you. And so he said, uh, he come back dressed the same way next week, next week. And so he said, well, did you ask God about how you should dress when you come to church? He said, I did. And he said, well, what did he say? He said, he didn't know he had never been to that church. <laughs> so they wasn't letting the Lord in, right? So uh, it's sad if the church ain't getting visited by the Lord. So we just need to be careful and not judge, right? And, uh, but I don't think there's anything with that, wrong with that attitude of bringing God your best. So... Um, and so he says, um, You shall make the change for the breastplate at the end and braided cords of pure gold. You shall take two rings of gold in verse 23 for the breastplate. Put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold on the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. The other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it which is in the inner side of the ephod, and two other rings of gold. You shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward the front, right in the, at the seam above the intricately woven band of ephod. They shall, blind the breast, they shall bind the breastplate in the means of the rings and the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. Again, I want to show you this. This is fitly joined together. Now, as you see this unfold, you're seeing, and this is something the church, the modern church has, needs to think, rethink. God is a God of detail. He didn't say, Noah, go out there and build a boat. He told Noah how long to build it, how tall to build it, where to put the window, what to use, what to go for wood, how to pitch. He told him everything about it. Notice what it says when, Isaac, when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him. It said they laid the wood in order. Notice how detailed God is here. I think we've got a lot of sloppy Christianity in our world today because people just think God's okay with whatever. Well, that's not how this works. And we got to be careful that we don't just... Listen, I, I watched a little clip yesterday. I was interested in this, so I caught the clip. 
of all these tech guys going to see the going to the White House yesterday. Guys way richer, and to be quite honest with you, some of them with more influence than our president has. People like Musk and the guy that owns Facebook. These guys got more power than the president in some circles. They all went in dressed appropriately. Black suits. They honored that office. Now, you think we're going to walk up to the throne and call Jesus our homeboy? You'll see t-shirts with that kind of stuff on it. I think we've got a little too loose with some of that stuff. He's a holy God. And Solomon said, let your words be few. You know, when you get behind that veil, chill. <laughs> and let God have His moment with you. And speak into your life. We know about prayer. that Prayer is more than just you and I talking. It's letting God respond and speak into our lives. So, I think, uh, yeah, to, we got, again, there's two sides of that. We don't want to run, we don't want to accept people, like I sh share with that one example. But at the same time, we don't want to get so loose that we think God's just good with whatever. And that's what got Cain in trouble. Evidently, we know God had taught them about sacrifice. Because he clothed Adam and Eve. So there had been a sacrifice made. So that's getting handed down. So we know that God requires blood in a sacrifice. We know that Cain was a tiller of the field and Abel was the one that kept the sheep or the livestock. So for whatever reason, Cain brought an inappropriate offering. Now let me tell you how the natural man would work. And I think a lot of Christians do this. Well, I grow apples, so God ought to be happy with my apples. But God said, you bring me a sacrifice, it's got to have blood. So what Cain, I'm just giving you a scenario here, what Cain should have done is he should have taken some apples and oranges or whatever, potatoes, whatever he had, and said, Abel... I need to go meet with the Lord today. I need to trade you this and get a lamb and take it with me. That's what he should have done. But because he blew it off, he went in and brought an inappropriate offering. He didn't want to take time or maybe he was jealous. Whatever caused that. So we got to be careful not fall into that trap of just saying, here's, here's what I got. Be happy with it, God. When you read the book of Malachi, uh, you know, it talks about tithing in there, but the whole book is about bringing God leftovers. That's what he's upset. He told Israel, he said, you treat your governor better than you treat me. Call Frankfurt and tell them you're not going to send them their tax money. <laughs> see what they do. They'll come looking for you, won't they? So you, you see what I'm saying? He said, you guys are treating... Me worse than you're treating a natural man. And so that, that's, what, that's the spirit that, that Cain had. Then when you get over to uh, 
Nadab and Abihu, the Bible says they brought strange fire. Well, here's the natural man again, right? Fire, fire, ain't it? Once it's up and running, it's fire. But God told them the specific way to create the fire. And if they didn't do that, they weren't allowed to bring that into the temple. But Nadab and Abihu either stayed up late, was running late, just blew it off, and they, God killed them on the spot. Because they were going to do it their way instead of doing it God's way. And then finally you get in the New Testament, you got that widow woman who's the extreme of that, the other way, right? She gave everything she had. Now, and that was interesting to me because we don't like to talk about it, but Jesus was watching who was giving. He was watching because he's the one pointed it out. He, he watched who was putting money in. And then he brought that out. He said, this widow woman, although the amount was less, he said she gave more than anybody because she gave everything she had. So it's about the spirit of the attitude of wanting to please God. And you all probably already all know this. You and I ain't never going to outgive God. That ain't never going to happen. In fact, we started out so far in the hole, we ain't never going to catch up to start with because he hung on that tree for us. We ain't never going to catch him with our giving. He doesn't give way more than we'll ever give. And so you cannot outdo God, right? You cannot outdo God. I, I'll, I'll, I'll share this story because there's a lot to get into. We'll come back and work with this high priest. But it's a beautiful day. I'll let you off five minutes early here in a second. One of the guys that uh, I, I was able to lead to Christ years ago in the early 90s who, who became a leader, I mean, he's a really good guy, been through some hard stuff, raised really hard, uh, was working two jobs when he got saved, had the car, the whole side of the car torn out, and uh, he uh, was working a $6 an hour job, had three children, lived in a really small mobile home, and then he would go to work at Famous Recipe in the evening to make more money just to try and survive. Well, he got saved, and over time, he learned about tithing. Well, he just didn't think there's no way he could tithe. You know, he just felt like there's no way he could do it. And he, he wasn't sharing any of this with me till after the fact. And he, but this is how the Lord worked. And he came to the altar. He said, I went to the altar he told me this after he, this Sunday. He went to the altar. He said, I was praying about that. He said, Lord, I want to give. He said, I just don't feel like I can. And he said, the Lord, I never heard this put this way. And I've used this ever since he shared this with me. He said, the Lord said to him, he said, you mean you'll trust me with your eternal salvation, but you won't trust me with your money? He walked out of there, started doing it. The last house he built was a half a million dollar house. Sometimes you have to obey when it hurts, don't you? But you ain't never going to outgive God. I told you about my cousin who was like a green beret, come out, went to prison, come out, had nothing, didn't have electricity, running water, nothing. Took a job at running a concrete truck. They paid him seven bucks an hour. He was on the bottom, just got out of prison. This was the only guy that would actually even give him a job. Slept on a hard floor, no electricity, had a fireplace that he'd put a fire in. Of course, he, like I said, he was like a Green Beret type dude, so he, 
he, he could survive like that better than the average person. You know, they teach him how to eat bugs and everything. He's, he's my co- cousin that just pick up a snake. He ain't afraid of nothing. And uh, so he, he come to me. He got right with the Lord. He come to me and he said, the Lord, he said, I'm going to start paying 20% of what I give instead of 10. And I'm like, I started to say, you don't have to do that. Because that's, the Bible just, you know, talks about tithing. You don't, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment, said, leave him alone. Said, this is between me and him. So I said, listen, whatever the Lord's telling you to do, that's between you and God. It wasn't two years later, he had his own business, 60 acre farm, running cattle, had three employees, one, I mean, you, you ain't never going to outgive God. And the temptation will be, to pull back when it hurts a little bit. Plow through there. That's when the devil gets hurt the most, when he thinks he's got us in the corner, and we keep obeying. We just keep obeying. You know what you need to do? Just keep obeying. Whatever that means to you. Doesn't mean money, witnessing, whatever. Just praying, studying, just keep. When the devil thinks he's got you and I down to where we might give up, you just keep obeying. Just keep obeying, and you'll overcome. Amen? Well, there's a lot to learn about this high priest, so I'm not going to get in a hurry. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together, and we thank you for the high priest of Jesus as we come back into that and look at his role as our high priest next week. Lord, we just pray that you'll help us to grow and appreciate, appreciate everything you've done for us. We thank you for your word, and we bless your name. And everybody said...